0: It used to be that you would take an ad out in a newspaper or an ad out on a TV show or an ad out on a radio show and you're renting space on somebody else's asset. Today, it's really easy to create your own newspaper or blog or your own radio station, a podcast, or your own TV show, a videocast, and then sell your own ad on your own asset. And you can pull people into that in a new way. And we were right about that.
1: That was Brian Halligan, the CEO and co-founder of HubSpot. And these are the Brandwagon Interviews. Brian, thank you so much for being here on Brandwagon. So excited that you're here. You're the, the CEO and co-founder of HubSpot, creators of inbound marketing, creators of uh, an incredible platform to help um, small, medium-sized businesses communicate better with their customers, support their customers better, and really like bring customers to them. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was getting ready for today's interview, I was making all these questions to ask you, and I realized every question that I had for you was about marketing. Oh, cool. And I think that you all have done something pretty incredible, which is that you are the experts at being an expert at this point. Like, if if someone wants to have an answer about marketing, there there's a challenge or something they're thinking about, they know that they can go to HubSpot. For someone has thought about it, you've thought about it, Darmesh thought about it, the team has thought about it. That's an amazing accomplishment. Um, How did that happen? Was that like, did you evolve to get to that place or was that just the intention from the beginning?
0: Uh, That was actually kind of the intention. The, the, uh, The genesis of the whole thing was I was working at a venture capital firm and I was watching how people marketed and they were cold calling and they were spamming and they were doing trade shows and they were doing all this crappy stuff that everyone was ignoring with spam protection and ad blocker and caller ID. And Darmesh was blogging, and his blog was a crappy little blog that he hosted himself called OnStartups.com, and he had a thousand times more interest in his little blog than any of these venture-backed uh, software companies. And we just saw sort of an arbitrage opportunity. If you can create remarkable, interesting content on the internet, people link to it, Those that content will spread, will spread in social, spread in Google, and it'll become a permanent asset kind of in your marketing you know, balance sheet. And the more pieces of content you create, the more answer, questions to answers you have, That's a, becomes, over time, an incredibly valuable asset. So we've created, at this point, probably hundreds of thousands of pieces of content to answer almost every question you could come up with associated with marketing or sales or service. And because we've been at it so long, uh, boy, the the amount of leverage we get from that is really insane. The amount yeah. we get north of 10 million visitors a month to our site... Almost all of which is organic from Google.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. It's been amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing to sit out with an intention and then also do it for a long time. Yes. Like it's not like you said, we're going to do this and do this for a year and then we're going to try something else. Yes. How did you stay so focused? You just knew it was going to work or how did, cause that's, I feel like a lot of us come across ideas or opportunities to do things and then people start going. And then at first, usually it's hard. Like, and how did, how did you continue through that for, for so long?
0: I think we just saw it working, Chris. I mean, it was working incredibly well on Darmesh's blog. And then we started our own blog, and it worked incredibly well. And then we started on our early customers. And and not only were we doing ourselves to grow our own business, but then we built a product to help people do that. And we just saw it working, and we stayed on it. One of the things I've learned about marketing is it's sort of like there's these layers of it that, that kind of layer on. So layer number one for us was our blog. And That's a layer that we started from day one of HubSpot 13 years ago, and it continues to layer on. And it's just this asset that's been building up and pulls uh, traffic in. But over time, we've laid on, layered on lots and lots of layers. But if that layer is working, you want to keep at it. Yeah. And then you need to learn new skills. And we're still
1: doing this over time that really, really have worked. Well, it's also, I mean, you've, you built these amazing content assets in your marketing. We've also built a product to deliver on this promise, right? Yep. And, and how, what would you give advice to somebody else when they're thinking about like, you find a trend, you're going after it, you're executing on it like an arbitrage opportunity, but then not only do you have to do it for yourself, you actually are, Building the tools to help others do it. How do you How do you even figure out how to do that?
0: I think a lot of companies, if you look at so many companies, the founders built that product for themselves. Uh, I hear it over and over and over again. There's some problem in the world that that founder is trying to solve for themselves. I was just listening to a podcast that Patrick Collison was on, uh, the founder of Stripe. And he had a startup before, and he was just trying to solve a payments problem. He's like, this is really ugly trying to solve this. So he built it for himself. I feel like that was Darmesh and I. We wanted to solve that problem for ourselves and for our friends. And next thing you know, it kept building and we solved the marketing problem. Then we solved, we're solving the sales problem, we're solving the service problem. We've expanded the footprint of the problem we're trying to solve.
1: But it's interesting. I mean, I, I believe that completely too. Like you have to be your own best customer, which is how you can push your product and yes. figure out what to do next. You can have like key insights and also going to see, but it is, fun. but how does that align with like customer development? Um, and the reason I say that is that. I feel like I've gotten the advice over the years, you know, go do customer development, figure out what customers want, but I have an idea, I think, of what we want, and it's like, how do you balance those
0: things? The balance has changed over time. The early days of HubSpot, we did not do a lot of customer development. In fact, customers would come to us and say, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. We like that idea of inbound marketing, but we really just want to spam better. We want to cold call better, and we want to do this old school stuff better versus transforming. And we didn't. We've done a lot right and a lot wrong. One of the things we did right is we stuck to it. We said, nope, you need to transform the way you market to match the way people actually shop and buy stuff today. And that includes getting really good at creating your content. And the way we explained it to people was, gee, it used to be that you would take an ad out in a newspaper or an ad out on a TV show or an ad out on a radio show, and you're renting space on somebody else's asset. Today, it's really easy to create your own newspaper, a blog, or your own radio station, a podcast, or your own TV show, a videocast, let's say, and then sell your own ad on your own asset. And yeah. You can pull people into that in a new way. And we were right about that. I mean, we have been wrong about lots of things. We were right about that. And we just kept pushing, like, no, you need to, tr- you need to transform. You don't need to tweak. You need to transform. And there's certain times in history where you need to tweak, And there's certain times in history where you need to transform, 13 years ago... That was a good time to transform. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think you have to have something that people care about and are interacting with, they're getting value out of. Yes. Um, it has to be an ongoing thing. Yes. Like, and it's a very, very hard thing. It, you know, to do it, you have to, it's every touch, right? I think that's why brand has been so mysterious, and yet, obviously, a differentiator and the world that we're in today. I actually think it's gone from very mysterious to
0: much clearer. It used to be, okay, you go to Madison Avenue, and you have to get that jingle right and get the ad right, and it's on TV, and you don't have any numbers around it. Now brand is, you know, do you deliver that promise? And you can kind of measure that through Net Score and whatnot. I think it's gotten easier. I, I tell you the other thing about brand. And about, you talked about an arbitrage opportunity before. I feel like in 2006, when we first started HubSpot, there was like a wormhole in the, in the market that if you could create really good content, you could pull people in with it and grow your business in a new way. And the very top of the funnel was being transformed. I feel like that wormhole is still open, but maybe it's a little smaller. Yeah. The internet's more pay to play. It's a little harder to pull that off. A lot of people are playing the content ma- uh, uh, marketing game. It still works. It's just a little harder. The new arbitrage opportunity, I think, wormhole in the internet is creating those end-to-end experiences and doing it remarkably well. It used to be you had to get a great product and the best product won. More and more, I see it's the best experience wins like that. Why does Chewy.com win? They sell the same damn products as every other pet food company, but they do it in a better end-to-end experience way. That feels like the new arbitrage opportunity. Yeah.
1: Well, that, I mean, I think that makes sense and that aligns and it's, you know, it's harder out there than it used to be. So many things I think have gotten harder. Yes. Like the wormhole to to think about that has gotten smaller, but there's just so much content. Yep. All the, you know, organic social channels have become paid. Yep. Um, you know, everyone has the same tech stack, like differentiating has to come back to like what someone feels and cares about your brand. I agree with that. Um, okay. Let's go to a brand that I know you care deeply about, the Grateful Dead. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So. You know, I have. I'm friends with a bunch of people who are true deadheads. Okay. Um, I know you're a deadhead. They are a a band that built unreal affinity and did everything differently. Yeah. To a degree that I think it's. Uh, I'm gonna guess you listen to the Grateful Dead basically almost every day. Is that? Oh yeah. Yeah. You wrote a book about the Grateful Dead. How do they do it? How do they? How do they do that? Okay. I wrote a whole book
0: about it. If you yeah. want to read about the whole book, <laughs> you can read the book. But. I'll give you, I can give you a few snippets. I'll give you one snippet that I like. Uh, So the Grateful Dead, one of the Grateful Dead's founders is a guy named Jerry Garcia. And Jerry Garcia described the Grateful Dead music, uh, and he said it's a little bit like black licorice. And he said, the thing about black licorice is about 5% of the world's population just can't get enough of it. They just love that black licorice. (laughs) Where 95% of the population is like, I just don't like the taste of that black licorice. That's the Grateful Dead. 5% of the population that hears is like, I can't get enough Grateful Dead music. 95% is like, what is this rubbish? And he was before his time. The internet, one of the things I've learned about is polarization really works. Like in the early days of HubSpot, we didn't just come up with inbound marketing. We came up with inbound marketing versus outbound marketing. We tried to paint outbound and spam and cold calling bad. That polarization actually worked. Not everyone agreed with us, but the people who agreed with us really agreed with us. And you see that with our politicians today. That's definitely yeah, going on. Yeah, everything's become more extreme. Yeah. yeah, very polarized. And polarization works. in The internet loves a fight. And the internet loves a polarization. Um, and the Grateful Dead actually were in their own way really polarizing. Here's the other, th- I'll give you another snippet from the Grateful Dead. They didn't do any brand marketing or advertising, of course, any yeah. of that stuff. In fact, Until very, very late in their career, they never had like a top forty song. Never mind record. Like they were just—they never really were that in that way.
1: They had a niche that of people that cared so deeply that they're telling everyone else who they thought would care.
0: Yeah, they did. They did something very unique, though. So, let's just say, Chris, you wanted to go to who's your favorite band? I'm gonna go Phoenix right now. I don't know why that popped in there. Give me another one. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one I've heard of. <laughs> um, When one, you were in high school, who was your favorite band?
1: Who was a favorite? Uh, you know, we're talking pop punk, mostly. I'm going to go Linkin Park. Okay, Linkin Park. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Linkin Park. <laughs> Let's just say
0: you went to a Linkin Park concert. Yeah. You walked in the door. Yeah. And you brought your giant, all your camera equipment with you, mm. and your recording equipment, and you walked up the front door. Mm. What happens? They would not be happy. They would not be happy. You yeah. would, they were not let you. Yeah. If you walk into a Grateful Dead concert and you get big camera recording equipment, they say, "Come on in," and they give you the best seat in the house, and yeah. they let you record it. Yeah. And bring it home, and you back back in the day, you make a copy of that tape, and then you hand the tapes to your friends. And then you'd be at some party and somebody playing the Grateful Dead. And maybe you were part of that 5%. Yeah. And you would hear it. And then you'd yeah. come to me and say, what is this crazy gypsy music? You yeah. say, this is Grateful Dead. Yeah. Why don't you come on tour with us? So yeah. they were the first content marketers, the first viral marketers. You would go to a concert, maybe you go to four or five in a row and you pick the best one and you copy the tapes and give them to all your friends. So they were the original content marketers. They're very good at content marketing. HubSpot, in a way, was inspired by the Grateful Dead around that. Yeah. I'll give you one more. <laughs> we have time for one more? Yeah, more? yeah. Okay. There's an unusual lot to learn from the Grateful Dead. Uh, back in the day, let's say you wanted to go to a Rolling Stones concert. You would, you would call Ticketmaster, right? You'd call. And there was a, tickets go on sale Tuesday at 2 p.m. You'd call. busy, and you keep calling, keep calling, keep calling, get through. And uh, you call, and you try to buy your tickets. The Grateful Dead didn't like that. And there's a couple of things they didn't like about it. First of all, it's just a crappy customer experience for the customers. Second of all, Ticketmaster took a lot of margin. Mm-hmm. Third of all, the people who bought the tickets were people who had a lot of money, were suits, basically. Uh, and they would buy, or weren't suits, they were people, who, <laughs> the people who bought the tickets. All right, can I start? Can I do this yeah. one over yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. All right. There's one other lesson that I think is, is relevant to the Grateful Dead. Let's just say you were a, back in the 70s, 80s, back in the day, you wanted to go to a Rolling Stones concert. The way it would work if you wanted to go to the concert was on Tuesday at 2 p.m., you would call Ticketmaster, and you would keep calling, and the number would be busy, and you have to stay on it for like an hour to mm-hmm. get through, and you mm-hmm. finally get through, and you buy tickets. Grateful Dead didn't like anything about that. They didn't like the fact that it was a crappy customer experience for their uh, fans. They didn't like the fact that Ticketmaster made a bunch of money on mm-hmm. that. They didn't like the fact that the people who were willing to stay there and dial for an hour were professional scalpers. And they didn't like the fact that the people who bought those tickets paid a big markup on it. And it was a bunch of suits in the front row of their concert, not the rabid fans who were hippies, basically. And so they said, enough of that. What we're going to do is rethink that whole process, create our own distribution company. And so instead of calling Ticketmaster and you wanted tickets, you called Grateful Dead's line, 415 da 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 da, da. I forgot the number exactly, but I, I remember it. <laughs> and it would give you an instruction on how to get tickets. Yeah. And the instructions were, you have to send in a three-by-five index card with the number of tickets you wanted to which shows you wanted, and you couldn't buy more than four tickets at a time. So there's like no point in a scalper bothering you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, You had to send in a postal money order, which was a pain in the neck. You had to go to the darn post office to get the money order. Yeah. You had to mail a self-addressed stamped envelope, and then you mailed it to the thing. How do you think they decided... Who would get sit in the front row?
1: So they get all these orders coming in. Everyone wants front row. So hmm. How do you think they decided? And the information they would give was how many tickets they wanted, and then which show, which show, um, how maybe like how early people are sending things in. They all send them the same day. Same day, day. Same day. I don't know how. Okay, it's very very clever.
0: Yeah. So you sent that that self addressed stamped envelope. Yeah. People would decorate those stamp envelopes with dancing bears and mushrooms and beautifully decorated with with like put glue on it and sparkles. Yeah. And the most beautifully decorated self-addressed stamped envelopes would get the best tickets. So they're rabid fans That's would be in the front row. That's so cool. Now I think the other lesson for all of us from The Grateful Dead, they cut out the middleman. Yeah. You know, they took all the profit. Scalpers were cut out. Yeah. Ticketmaster was cut out. So they yeah. got all they got all the revenue and all the profits from it. Yeah. And and they put their fans in the front seat. That's the lesson of the internet. If you look at the internet from the mid '90s to today, it's just ripped through yep. any type of middleman there is out there, and it's been ruthless in its in its process of doing that. You see that in in almost every business. Yeah, it flips a business model on its head. Yes, right. Like they're going to make money it. on
1: the concerts, so and they're going to let everyone distribute their yes. listen for free. And so there's a lot.
0: There's a lot more than meets the eye to the Grateful Dead. They yeah. were very clever folks.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. The other <laughs> thing that's interesting about that—I <laughs> knew we were on the right topic here. <laughs> uh, <and> you <laughs> can cut out whatever
0: you like, but <laughs> uh, one of the things that somebody asked Jerry Garcia once was, "All this on purpose? Did were you like purposefully thinking about a new marketing model?" And I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something to the effect of, "No, we weren't. We were just trying to solve for our customers in doing what just made sense to us, and we didn't we." We never were big on conventional wisdom to start with. Yeah. So we ignore conventional wisdom and we embrace this new way and we invented this new way because it just felt right to us. And I think there's a lot of, lot to that in today's businesses when people just are like, yeah, this is how everyone's been doing it for the longest time. But just cause everyone's doing that for the longest time doesn't make it right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, how do you start fresh with where we are? Like, what are the opportunities in front of us today? Yep. Right. I mean, so many companies I think are, um, and what we hear is people are like, how, how what do I do to, what do I do today to stand out? What do I do today to do something different? And I think it is like, you have to be creative and you have you have to try to do something that no one's done before.
0: Yep. I'll tell you what's interesting about, now I'll flip that to HubSpot. So people are like, well, what did you do right? And we did a lot right, we did a lot wrong. One thing we did right was this inbound versus outbound, kind of created a new category of marketing that worked. Two other things worked. One was, ironically, we created an agency program that works. So not only did we allow we allowed customers to buy directly from us if they wanted to figure out how to do marketing on their own, but a lot of people didn't want to do marketing on their own yeah. or inbound marketing or figure it out at all. They wanted to outsource it. So cre- we created a channel of mostly website developers, but SEO consultants and social media consultants that we taught how to sell HubSpot and implement HubSpot, and we taught them to move from kind of one off projects to retainers and really building a business around that. That was not a play that was run a lot, and still isn't uh, run a lot. That worked really well. The other play that really, really, really worked for us was uh, SEO, just like piling up the content, just over time, piling up and staying on. And both of those plays are still very much working today.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just—I mean, those are things that you started with early. Yeah. And then the agency thing you figured out, and it was like, but back to like, how do you solve the problem for the customer? It was like, I want to do this, but how do I do it? Quickly, how do I do yeah. it with someone who's done it before? How yeah. do I do it where I don't have to hire a team? Yes. And it's like, yeah, there's probably a lot of people who are only going to do it. They can work with a trusted agency. A so it, may, it makes perfect sense. Um, but it's also, you've created moats, right? Yep. I mean, I think, I think about that a lot in a world where it's harder to stand out. If you get attention from somebody, you want to keep it. Like, you want to keep people engaged. You want to create an amazing experience because it's so hard to get them to come back. Yep. And then once they're there, how do you deliver on it like Jerry, right? Like, how do you actually go and build what they the solve the problems they actually want solved? I agree
0: with that. I agree with that. It used to be that everyone was talking about product market fit, it's more like this product experience fit, product go to market fit. Building a great product today, ironically, I think is table stakes. Like, to build a great piece of software 20 years ago was really expensive and really hard and really time consuming. Building a great piece of software today is still really hard, but holy crap, is it cheaper with AWS and
1: open source or yeah, whatnot. But, but you have to have some kind of distribution. I mean, and, and yep. you have to have some kind of distribution, then you have to actually deliver on the promise, you're yep. saying. Because yep. that is, I totally agree with you. There's We've had many competitors who basically, you know, they were small and they're like, oh, we're going to go do the exact same thing cheaper. Or we're going to go do the exact same thing with some other thing. Look, Products look similar. Yep. And that's just not enough. It's not. It's not. You have to do something different. Yep. Yep. How many people work at HubSpot now, and how fast are you hiring at this point?
0: I think we have about 3,000 people, but don't hold me to that
1: number. Okay.
0: And how fast are we scaling? Not fast enough, actually. We added, if if I look at our last quarter over quarter, we added about 20% new heads, and we wanted to be like well north of that. So it's hard to, hard, hard
1: to hire hard to that many yeah. people, especially if you want to keep your uh, your bar high. One of the things I think a lot about with scaling is you want to have a great message and experience to your customers, but if you can't figure out how to communicate internally, it's pretty hard to deliver on that. You all have clearly figured out how to get your team aligned and going in the same direction. Yeah, What advice would you give somebody like, or I guess really, just because I really care about this, like, what does your, your communication structure look like? How do you communicate to the whole company? How do people yep. understand what's going on? Okay. Let me
0: get to that in a second. Yep. but I think people think a lot about creating a remarkable product, and if they can create that remarkable product and a remarkable experience, it'll be a magnet that will pull customers mm. in and retain them, mm. and they spend all their energy on that. Mm. I think culture is kind of like product to employees. So... You need to create a remarkable culture and it's so remarkable. It's like a magnet that pulls people in and retains them. And you need to create a flywheel for employees. So the culture's got to be so good that the employees want to stay a long time and refer their friends. If you're completely relying on outside headhunters and stuff like that, it's really hard to scale, particularly at quality. So I think of thinking about your, your culture like a product. Making it unique relative to your competitors, which are different in your local market than your product is worth uh, spending time on. And then one of the things we did a lot of people know about this, was we wrote that culture down. Mm-hmm. The culture code and what we stand for really define the relationship between the employee and the employer. And that's been a very helpful tool. I would recommend that to everyone. You got to think about your culture like a product and how it's unique. I just think in today's day and age, and in all markets, supply and demand is just out of whack. Any kind of product, whether you're selling a razor or video software or CRM software or wires or cameras, like every market, it's just so easy to create a new product today. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a software product or a hardware product and building stuff in China, like, man, this is just the cost and time to create something cool is hard. And in any category, the amount of competition is just insane. If you think about razors, you go into Amazon, you search on razors, it's like thousands of different razors. And then you've got Dollar Shave Club and like all these Harry's, all these other razors. Like it didn't used to be that way. Mm-hmm. It used to be every industry was an oligopoly and there were a handful of competitors slogging it out. It's not that way anymore. And it's just supply greatly outstrips demand in the customer side. Same thing on the employee side, like unemployment here in Cambridge, Massachusetts is probably close to zero percent. It's really low. If you're, if you're somewhat technical, uh, you have a million opportunities, particularly if you're a software developer. The demand for those people is huge, Very whether high. you're Mass oh, General yes. Hospital or Wistia or HubSpot or you name it, MIT. So many people are trying to hire that, that same person. Supply dramatically outstrips demand. So, I think both are harder, and you need to really create a great, great culture and a great employee experience, or it's going to be hard to scale in today's day and age. Now that may change; unemployment may go up; things may change in the economy. But I feel like on both those flywheels, boy, the, the table stakes are really high these days.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And when and when they're there, and you have like, you know, you just had inbound, twenty-five thousand people came. You get up there and you're talking about all the new stuff that you're doing, the way you're working with partners, like the you know experience disruptors, and then the team is also completely aligned. Like if you go talk to anyone at HubSpot, they know what's going on. How did you how do you make that happen when there's three thousand people?
0: We have kind of layers of it. We work on that. Uh, as you get bigger, it's harder and harder to make sure everyone's on the same page. I think that inside layer of the onion is where. We're uncomfortably transparent. Pretty much every conversation we have at the board or the management team, we put on the wiki. And people can read about it. And it's a little bit of the uh, 80-20 rule, but 20% of the employees really care about every decision I'm making and Mm -hmm. everything go very, very deep. 80% are passive consumers on it. But we are transparent. In fact, when we went public, we did something unusual that our lawyers really didn't like, but we pushed through. What typically happens when you go public is you have five or six employees that are called officers. And those officers n- can know any information any, any time about the company, but they can't sell the stock within certain periods because mm-hmm. they have unfair information relative to other people. What we did is we basically said every all 3,000 employees, every new employee, is an officer. So everyone can get all that information, but they're limited from selling in certain periods. Uh, so basically, the way we computer- communicate with our employees today and when, the way we communicate with our employees pre-IPL is pretty much the same. So we're very, very transparent. We have the world's most active wiki. Uh, everyone's very active publishing on there, keeping it up to date, uh, publishing our management meeting notes or board meeting notes. Everything kind of goes on there so people can it. We have a quarterly company meeting. We, pre- we prep a lot for it. We prep as much for the company meeting as we do for our earnings calls. Uh, and those company meetings are scripted and polished and transparent and hopefully entertaining and interesting. And I think everyone in the company goes to those. So we've kind of got these layers of communication. And people don't complain about it. I, a lot of companies I hear, like, oh, communication is messed up. Things are out of alignment. Some one person is saying this. Upspot is.
1: That's one of the things that's always worked for us is, like, people on the edge seem to know well, what's going on It's in the funny because that's been the rumor on the street. Like, what people tell me is that you, you guys actually are that transparent. We are. And that the wiki is like flying. Yes. Like, it's just crazy amount of stuff going on. Yes. And it's really interesting. I mean, we're 115 people today, but I remember 20 people being like, how do we, what do we do? Yeah. Because there's that moment when like, you can all sit around a table and then you're trying to do an all hands meeting, but you don't know. <laughs> yes. Like, what I should be saying. Um, I'll tell you another thing we yeah. do
0: is once a quarter, we do a net promoter survey of all of our employees. Yeah. And the ENPS, we read them all. Yeah, um, we, we, <laughs> uh, what we, what we do with them is not everyone responds, but we get a pretty good response rate and we really push people to respond. So let's say we get 2000 responses. We have people go in and bucket them and we, it's, it's the Thai restaurant bucketing. So really hot issues that people are very worried about are like three chili issues. Mm, issues not that hot. You don't really have to worry <laughs> about the one chili issue. Yeah. So it's like, and then we. So we write up the results of it. We post them and we look at the trend line over time for, we show the trend line so everyone can see it. Uh, then we post, here's the three chilly issues. And then we respond to the three chilly issues. And there's something about that level of transparency that people trust you. Like if you're transparent, you earn that trust. If we start hiding stuff, people won't start trusting us. And so that, that's working really well. That's, and that's scaling. A lot of people said, you know, we were 200 people like, ah, oh, that's crazy your wiki. None of this stuff's going to scale. You're going to go public. It'll all change. None of that's changed.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. amazing, though. Because yeah. I think it's like. Some things break. Some things yeah. don't. That hasn't broken. Well, it's I, I would imagine you're scaling by example, right? Like, you guys actually go in there and look at the responses and talk about the stuff. Do. Yeah, and so people know that that's, you're not just saying it's important. It is important. Yeah. And then that ends up propagating through, and people expect that of their manager. And suddenly, this, this simple leading by example ends up creating this experience internally. Yep. Um, I haven't
0: thought about it like that, but you're probably
1: right. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting because I think it's one of the biggest challenges if, if, you're scaling is like, you might have something you want to accomplish, but how do you actually <laughs> get everyone to do it going the same, same direction? There was, I can't remember at some point I was reading something about operating systems of companies and the or, there was an article and it was like, um, you have this direction and you tell everyone the direction and this arrow and you, all you want is the arrows to go like this. And you communicate it and the arrows are going like this. And then five minutes later, they're, they're off. You know, they're just like, they're going in every which direction. Yes. Um, and I feel like that's actually one of the great challenges is like, yep. it sounds like you've been able to use systems that have scaled the whole time, which is amazing. Some stuff broken, but that that particular piece of it's worked. Well, it's just funny because to scale a customer experience, you have to scale a team. Yep. And to scale a team, you need great, it's not easy. Like, you have to hire people. You need great managers. You need great operations. Yeah. Um, so I I think a lot about that in terms of like how do you get the insides to match the outside you want. So you've talked about like the funnels not working the way that it used to be. That moved to the flywheel. Then the flywheel is about creating an amazing experience, a customer experience, and that's really now you're talking about experience disruptors, which is companies that have figured out how to create an experience that's so different and and really deliver something that um, in a world that differentiates a, a product. I feel like when I look at where we are now, we're in this moment, hyper-competition, where experience matters, brand matters way more. How did we get here? What happened such that this is um, so important? I think you just look at the arc of history. Like you, People may look back
0: at this year and say, this, this was the age of convenience. Like, everything, people people used to say your product has to be 10x better for people to switch your product needs to be like 10% better for people to switch. Like switching costs seem to have dropped and people are willing to switch for convenience. And so we have tried in our own go-to-market, in our own servicing, our own product to make everything just strip that friction out and make stuff just much, much more convenient. And whether that's the early computers to what you have today, to the early bicycles to what you have today, to the early cars to what you have today, Everything's just about making things more convenient, and I think we live kind of in the age of convenience, and I think that's key in stripping all that stuff out. You brought up an interesting uh, topic, the flywheel, and the funnel. I'm not a big fan of the funnel. I've used funnels since 1990, <laughs> I've used the funnel. Like, in my whole darn career, I must have drawn funnels on the whiteboard like an infinite number yeah. of times <laughs> <laughs> I had funnel conversations. The funnel though, it just doesn't understand me. It just mm-hmm. lost the plot. Mm-hmm. The funnel tracks your your marketing channel really well, tracks your sales channel really well, but our most important channel doesn't track at all. And the most important channel is our customer telling other customers what's going on. And it doesn't give you any credit for that. The funnel also tends to be The sun rises and sets on the quarter with the funnel. Mm -hmm. Like The funnel starts on the first day of the quarter and ends on the last day of the quarter. All the deals come in the last week of the quarter. That's just not the way a business should run anymore. It should be more like a flywheel. and It should be taking friction out of that. And you should get credit in your business for taking friction out and getting that flywheel to spin faster and faster. That's how you get long term, right? And the funnel doesn't help you with that. So I personally, I didn't come up with this flywheel metaphor. Uh, Jeff Bezos uses it, and the good to great guy uses it. And I just the more I thought about HubSpot, I was like, the funnel's broken. We need a new metaphor. So the way we measure everything inside of HubSpot now is flywheels. So we have our customer flywheel. Mm-hmm. Then next to that, we have a developer flywheel. So the more customers we get, and the happier they are, the more third-party developers like you at Wistia, thank you, by the way, build richer and better integrations. And that thing spins, and the developers and customers spin together. Then we have all these agency partners. more customers we have, the more attractive it becomes, to become an agency, and that spins. So HubSpot's like three flywheels that all work in unison, and they all have to kind of grow together, and the friction has to get lower, and the value has to get higher. That's how we measure HubSpot these days in those three flywheels.
1: That is awesome. Brian, thank you so much for being here on Brandwagon. This is awesome. Thanks for having me.